What is up, everybody? This is Brayden from Flint Mastering, and I am the host and content curator of the Mixing Music Podcast exclusive episodes. And today we have for you an exclusive archive, which means you're going to hear an exclusive episode that DK and I recorded almost a year ago. You're going to have the chance to hear what our exclusive episodes are all about and how much fun and learning goes on between me and DK as we discuss technical tips and important techniques in relation to producing mixing and mastering. If you enjoy this episode and you'd like to be a part of the exclusive content we provide twice a week, you can do so by heading over to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. And we couldn't do this podcast without you. I hope you enjoy this episode of the exclusive archives. And with that, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. friends and welcome back to another exclusive subscriber only episode of the mixing music podcast i'm your host for today brayden from flint mastering and joining me with his newly minted and framed cds up on the wall in his studio daddy dk what's up dk how you doing man what up what up what up thank you so much for subscribing and listening to this Absolutely. exclusive episode there you go are, are those cds are the like what are those cds up on your wall you've got there so no, i haven't seen those Braden before. and i are on a zoom call basically actually we're using google meet we've been using google recently yeah i have uh some cd framed cds from past clients these are like six five six seven years old now so oh, old old albums that i worked on i found it in a storage box um, and I've been asking everybody if we've worked on projects in the past, send me your old CDs cause I'll frame them and put them on the wall, but nobody makes CDs anymore. I think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it's crazy. Well, it looks really cool. I, for a second, I was like, oh my gosh, DK has four, <laughs> four platinum plaques in his wall all of a sudden. Like I was like, man, <laughs> what happened last week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But anyway, cool. Well, um, yeah, thank you for subscribing. We love you. We appreciate you. Couldn't do this without you. Maybe I already said that. I don't remember, but we can't reiterate it enough, and we could not be more appreciative of your support as we try to support you. So today we have a clip for you from the legendary recording engineer herself, Sylvia Massey. Sylvia does uh, recording and mixing, but she's most famous and most well-known for her recording techniques, and again, uh, like most of the other people we take clips from in this show, she has worked with the who's who of the music industry. She has worked with everybody from A to Z. And in this clip, Sylvia is specifically talking about the Neve 1073 EQ and how she likes to use it. But then she goes a little more into depth about her go-to frequencies that she normally EQs out. So without further ado, Sylvia Massey, roll the tape. I tend to add more than I cut, but when I do cut, I'll cut some mid frequencies, some lower mids to kind of uh, clear up a sound. For instance, I might use, um, I might cut around 350 in the mids uh, to, to give some clarity to toms uh, and maybe pull a little bit of that out on a kick drum. 
I use the high pass filters quite a bit, especially on high frequency instruments like the hi-hats on drums or on uh, overheads. Um, the 1073 EQ is a fantastic EQ and your anything you put through it already, even if the EQ is not even turned on, it's going to sound better than you started. Makes you look like a genius. I've been using it for years. That says a lot. Alrighty, DK. So we got a little look into Sylvia's world in terms of EQing and some of her go-to frequencies that she uses to fix things. Um, and she starts right off the top by saying she tends to add more than she cuts, which I will say I also do. Uh, and I'll, obviously I'll let you speak to that. And then when she does cut, she looks into the mids and the lower mids. So are there frequencies that you find are often problematic that you're cutting out uh, that our listeners could start with, or is it just kind of like seek and destroy method? <laughs> yeah, so I think the first thing that we want to recognize is in this context, I believe she's talking about recording um, mm. and kind of the thought process of EQing while recording is different than the thought process while mixing. Um, where mixing, it's a lot more potentially a lot more detailed and focused. Um, whereas recording, it's meant to save time and, and sound as good as it can from the get-go. Where, you know, you don't have, you, you're just trying to capture the best sources. So, yeah. and then also she probably knows the room that she's working in really well, kind of knows the instrument and the, the potentially the higher drummer. Um, there's a lot more familiarity in her line of work than we, I think we understand. Um, so she's like, cuts 350 to around the mids for toms. That's like a classic safe move for toms. And mm. I'm sure that there's going to be times where she's like, I, I, sh I don't want to cut anything right there. You know, and I'm sure that there's going to be times where like what she's talking about doesn't fit. Um, but yes, the, the point of EQing while recording is to save time so you have to do less work later. You want it to mm. sound as good as possible. Whereas mixing, it's like, all right, it's not, there's no time that needs to be saved. We just need to make it sound as pristine as possible, you yeah. know, and, and balance everything out. So I think that that's important to bring out. Um, now, as far as like the philosophy of cutting versus boosting, I want to be very clear and say that it's basically the same exact thing. It's rather a, a mindset and approach. Um, if I boost 1K, um, then what I'm and, and then I turn down the volume, what I'm really doing is just doing a low and high shelf cutting. I'm cutting a low and high shelf. That's what I'm doing. If I, uh, if I cut 1K, bell curve at 1K, then what I'm doing is a low and high shelf boost. It depends on, it's, it's, it's the, literally the same thing. It's rather like a mindset. Um, it's just the inversion. If you turn down the volume after, if you turn down the volume after a boost, then it becomes a cut. If you turn up the volume after a cut, it becomes a boost of other frequencies. Where we've talked about in previous episodes, everything ex uh, affects everything. This is one of those concepts. Um, mm. So they're basically the same thing. It's just a mindset approach, and I want to be very clear about that. Uh, she said she also uses a lot of high-pass filters often. That's another safe t thing to do for recording. I do not recommend or, or think say that you should mindlessly do that while mixing, but in the recording process, I, I do think that that can be important. Um, she talked about the 1073 EQ, which is like a classic EQ for recording engineers because there's only three bands. you got a high shelf, a low shelf with variable you know, um, frequencies and, and one mid band, you know, flexible mid band with set frequencies. Um, again, with Mick, with recording, it's about getting things done fast, quickly and saving you time later. 
Uh, you don't necessarily need a ton of super precise parametric EQs in the recording phase because all that time figuring out which EQ sounds the best is best spent when the mixing engineers by themselves, not when the artist is there waiting for you in the booth. <laughs> you know, you only have so <laughs> yeah. much time when you're sound checking. So uh, the 1073 is a great EQ to kind of do like general high shelf, low shelf stuff and one mid band stuff. And it's, it's really great workhorse type EQ, general EQ. Um, yeah, you don't want to be spending time looking for the exact frequency that the tom is ringing with the fab filter and using using the ten bands <laughs> to cut out all of the resonances. There's no time for that in the recording stage, and 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 that's important to recognize. So, just out of curiosity, uh, since I haven't done much recording myself, is the 1073? Obviously, there's no rules, but is the 1073 something that you could use in mixing, or is it mostly? for getting a sweet sound while you're recording. So I think it's mostly used in recording, but that being said, Got I know it. a lot of mixers, and I, I use a 1073 on occasion myself as well. I, th I think the point of the 1073, first off, it, it, the preamp, right? The 1073 is a preamp and an EQ. Um, okay. And uh, so, like, obviously you need a preamp when recording. But yep. it's also, um, like, when I'm mixing and I use a 1073, it's also like a more broader stroke EQ. It's a more colorful, broader stroke EQ rather than a very precise fab filter or like an Amec, uh, very precise EQ. Um, mm. More general broadband curves, which is, which in, I believe, I would like to say, is, is more musical. They're a lot more musical than like really, really precise stuff. If I'm cutting things and I do a bunch of small little tight notches that take a specific type of technical EQ to use, things start to get hollow and less musical. Um, yeah. and, and specifically with boosting, the reason why we like to boost, people like to boost with broader EQ bells and curves is, is because it is more musical if manipulating it does it, it feels it sounds less like it's being manipulated and it sounds more natural with broader band stuff that makes sense i will say personally for myself like like i said a little bit i have a tendency to do more boosting than cutting uh just like sylvia was saying i was when i first started mastering i was very into cutting i was like there's too much of this too much of that and um but i felt like when I was cutting a lot, then it was changing the whole tonal balance of the song. And that makes sense because we go back to everything affects everything, especially dealing with a stereo wave file. No wonder the sound of the song was changing. So there's another podcast I listened to that's called The Attack and Release Show. It's by two mastering engineers. They're like super successful. Uh, one's in Nashville. I think the other one's in North Carolina. Um, but they both talked about how they rarely do any cutting at all when they get a track. Most of what they do is boosting. So I was like, you know what? I'll try that approach. Um, you know, hint, hint, do what you listen to in a podcast. Uh, <laughs> or at least try it. No, but <laughs> yeah, for real though. No, but I was like, well, I'll try it. And so far, using that approach, I feel like my masters sound better than they have in the past. And it doesn't feel like it hollows the song out. It doesn't feel like I really take much away. And of course, every now and again, there's problem frequencies that need to be treated. But, you know, in mastering, I'm not really going past like a dB of cutting. So it's basically just a little bit of control. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just kind of resonate with what Sylvia said with 
you know, she adds more than she cuts. And that's probably, again, back to your point, DK, more of a recording thing because she's probably trying to help the singer or the players or whoever get in the zone and feel like they sound amazing. Like she said, the, the 1073 is her go-to because it makes everything sound better. It's like her secret trick or whatever that makes people think they sound really good. So, um, yeah, I, sh- I should look more into recording and learn more about recording. It's, it's a lot more interesting than I thought it was when I was in school, probably because the way they taught recording in school... I- I think sucked ass. <laughs> I, I do think that it's important to recognize the three separate processes. And for many listeners, for most people, um, especially when you're not in a big hub like LA or New York or Nashville, um, oftentimes the engineer does everything. They record, they produce, they record, they mix, and they master oftentimes. Um, the reason why, and I'm not saying you have to hire a mixer if you're recording or you have to hire a mastery engineer if you're mixing or whatever, you can do it all yourself, but it's all important to recognize that the recording process, the mixing process, and the mastering process uses different thoughts and philosophies and require different, you know, prioritize different ways of thinking. Um, in recording, time is of the, of is very important. You you have time with the client; they can't be there all day waiting for you to dial things in. You know, <laughs> yeah. as a mixer, yeah. you have all potentially all the time in the world. You know, but uh, uh, yeah. you know, but you got to get it really clean, and you got to do. You have the individual tracks, whereas a mastering engineer, you don't have access to the individual tracks, and you're looking for how do we get things loudest without affecting as much or whatever a thought. Maybe they're trying to affect it more. It doesn't matter. Um, but the point is, the, they're three separate. Um, three separate skills that are motivated by three like different things aspects of the process um so that's why people recommend that you hire a different mastering engineer you hire a different mixing engineer instead of doing it yourself is to kind of separate you from the process and stay objective and i will say this happens to me all the time anything that i record myself and i mix myself and then i master myself it sounds good and i'm more than confident to release it um but I, I do uh, consciously know that I'm sacrificing like a little percent that could have maybe been better if I left, let the objectivity of somebody else have a little influence on the track. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I send well, you mixes all the time. <laughs> amen. Yeah, and I'm like, yo, get some <laughs> yeah. thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so before we wrap this up, I just want to ask kind of a for fun question, uh, and we can both answer this. What is for you, the most annoying frequency? I think my ears and the way that I think the most, I have a couple things that are, that are typically very DK. Like DK hates these frequencies because of the way that my ears are shaped. Yeah. Is uh, on all speakers in all rooms and in all situations, just the s- frequencies that are I'm super sensitive to is uh, mid-range, upper mid-range between one and 4K. Even mm. one in one in three k between one and three k, I'm really hypersensitive to, um, and then like eight to eleven, eight to twelve k, eight to fourteen k, eight to fourteen okay. k, I'm really hypersensitive to. Specifically, eight to eleven k, I'm like very hypersensitive to in vocals. Yeah, um, yeah between f- like four, five, and eight. I'm like kind of sensitive to, not really. I sometimes I forget those frequencies, and I'm I'm not really hypersensitive about low end. Like if it feels good, it yeah. feels good, and I'm good at low end. But like, I will get, I will feel physical pain if that one to three k <laughs> is not working well, and I will feel physical yeah. pain with bad nine to ten k. Yeah, yeah. No, I I uh, I'm almost the same. I hate 
three and a half to four K. So many songs I get, there is just something in there. I don't know what it is, but it just scratches like the insides of my ears and eyeballs, man. I can just feel it attacking me, like between three and a half and four K. And the hard part for me is I love like electric guitars, and I feel like four K is right where all the aggressive like bite of the guitar sits, at least personally. So then when it comes through, I'm like. Oh, I want to cut this out because it hurts my ears, but I can't. Like, <laughs> the guitar sounds so good. Um, and then the other big one for me is like 500. I 500 hertz. I am for some reason just super, super sensitive to that. If there is even just a tiny bit too much 500 hertz in a mix that gets sent to me, I can't stand it. It has to go. Um, and uh, there's one, there's one engineer in particular. Uh, that I get a lot of projects from that I have a feeling there's something in their room around that area because there's always something between like five and 800 that I'm like, how are you not hearing this? <laughs> like, yeah. And it, it drives me crazy. But Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure that there's things where like sometimes I send you stuff to master. I'm sure that there's there's uh, consistent patterns that you see with my mixing. I mean, granted, I'm the best in the world and my mixes are perfect yeah. and you see absolutely no flaws in them, right? Yeah, but uh, I mean, <laughs> aside from that, you know, I'm sure yeah. that there's patterns that you pick up in the way that I mix. Mm. And uh, if, I'm sure that it's consistent and that's also part of our sounds, you know? Yep. And it's not always absolutely. bad. I, for something that you may think is bad, I think it's very characteristic and cool and vice versa. And that's kind of the beauty of it all. Absolutely. The beauty of it all is that we're all unique, we're all individual, and that's why there's 800 million of us all trying to do the same thing. <laughs> but anyway, on that note, we'll wrap this episode up. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. We love you, we appreciate you, and we couldn't do this without you. And if you would like to hire us for any of your mixing or mastering projects, either DK for mixing or me for mastering, you can reach out to us on Instagram at Flint mastering at DK mixes and you will get a discount on your projects as an exclusive member or if you want some help with your mixes and masters also feel free to reach out to us we're always happy to help and we're here to support you and provide you with the best experience possible so you can continue to level up your mixing mastering recording production whatever it may be we are here for you so with that said DK sign us off happy mixing my friends and stay saucy